Hi, this is Phil Lairness, sitting alongside my wife, Lily Lairness. As we travel through the third decade of the 21st century, it's good to know that the Midweek Drive and Midweek Drive Morning Editions continue to produce a minimum of four hours of weekly audio goodness on Siren Radio and southsidebroadcasting.podbean.com. Why do you have that glazed expression on your face, Lil? Too many numbers in that announcement. Anyway, we've come a long way since Tom Baker uh, once said, the thing about the Doctor is he's basically asexual. He has a companion, but there's no suggestion of any hanky-panky there. Now you're getting oh, deep, longing sighs and all sorts of other issues with the TARDIS. Isn't that right, Alan Stevens? You were just, you were just, you were just breaking up there momentarily, Alan. Sorry, we, 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 I think we, we, we're getting you now. Just start again. Yes, Tom, t- t- Tom Baker said that. Yeah, Tom Baker did say that, but he obviously wasn't a big fan of watching uh, previous Doctor Who stories before his came along. He he kind of played it in a... I suppose mm. that's how he played it, but there was a William Hartnett story called The Aztecs where a Doctor has a kind of, um, sort of, you know, a, a chaste romance with an Aztec woman um, in, in 1964, and uh, also, of course, you know, he did have... There was Susan, who was his granddaughter. Mm. So how do you explain that? Well, exactly. Maybe it's just the meaning of the word. Anyway, let's not mess around. Eve of the Daleks. Uh, the beginning of the end for Jodie Whittaker's uh, tenure. What are your thoughts? Oh, it was very good. I mean, uh, it was a story which um, was self-contained, and did there were, there were some references back to... As I said before, I said that I don't think we've dispensed, or hopefully not dispensed with all these elements that were introduced have been introduced over the Whitaker era, in which were um, uh, you know, or um, uh, one, of the, one of the big things of uh, the flux, I think uh, The Timeless gonna, Child We're still going to be dealing with that until um, you know, really the end of the Whitaker thing, so, but the difference was the story was self-contained and also, it's um it featured the Daleks, and I like the Daleks, and the Daleks are very much as they were, kind of a 60s thing in a way. The Daleks back in the 1960s, they were a bit quirkier than they were in the 70s, and uh, had a kind of like a, uh, an interesting, interestingly earnest, almost childlike um, innocence to them, uh, also appears in the Dark Daniels as well. So there was something of that in it, wasn't there? You know, he said, you know, is that you, Nick? This is not Nick, says the Dalek. Rolls eight, shoots person. <laughs> quite, quite funny. Like, sort of stuff you've got in Dalek's Master Plan or uh, Evil of Daleks. Found it might have been, Evil of Daleks might have been a direct influence because, of course, it was released on, uh, as a sort of cartoon, wasn't it? Was it this year? Indeed it was, in, in all its... Uh, Evil of Daleks, see? Evil of Daleks? Yeah. Evil of the Daleks? Almost the same damn title, so it probably was a probably was an influence. Well, it must have been. I think everybody, everybody is. Uh, I, th- I think the Evil of the Daleks um, release was extremely interesting um, in that when you're listening to an audio production of, well, or when you're listening to the audio soundtrack, effectively of a missing story, then uh, a lot of your attention is is uh, your brain is focused on the um, recreating the visuals, I suppose, and what happened with the the, the cartoon version was it, it it removed us from that because we now had visuals, and we could actually concentrate on the story. 
and and watching the story, I thought it was a uh, uh, very very clever and interesting. So um, that was a that was a that that was a, a revelation. So I wouldn't be surprised if um, uh, you know that um, this is the same sort of influence. You know, because it's the same sort of thing that happened of Chris Chibnall, because you know he he for better or for worse he is a fan. So self-contained story, some interesting dialogue in it. Um, quite nicely directed, I thought. A uh, lot of humour. The two leads, uh, so, oh, um, you know, outside of the Doctor and his companions, um, I I didn't know them. I've never, I don't watch a lot of contemporary television, to be honest. Uh, but apparently they were comedians, weren't they? You probably know more than I do. But I thought they were really good, very good indeed. They they played it. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a fun... Well, Ken Dodd actually entered into the Doctor's uh, scenario, as did Beryl Reed, so uh, there is a, a track record for featuring comedians and pantomime heroes. Yeah, well, some are more successful than others. I mean, John Lee Venturi used to go along to these parties and meet someone and say, hey, would you like to be in Doctor Who? And suddenly they were. And uh, I don't think John Lee Venturi was a guy who... I think he was very good at the job he originally did, which was, which was budgeting, but he wasn't a man who understood um, storytelling or um, casting particularly well. I, I, I've actually got a problem with Beryl Reed, and uh, Beryl Reed has done serious parts. Of course, she was in Tinker Taylor. Uh, or was it Small Smiley's People? She might have also been Tinker Taylor, so just by the original BBC adaptation. I can't remember. But there were other ones that weren't quite so. Uh, then again, Ken Dodd was kind of appropriate for the story he was in. Um, but there was some strange casting during the, and uh, in, in sort of stunt casting as well. No, John T- Jane Tier. Remember, Halen Pace turned up. Do you remember Halen Pace playing two shop owners in mm. Survival? Mm. Yeah. Well. So um, yeah, but I, I didn't even know them. I, I didn't even know uh, who they were. I just thought they played it extremely well. Uh, so. Ironically titled, given that the series went into hiatus for a good uh, number of years. Seventeen after that. years. Yeah, yes. it was a bit of an ironic title, unfortunately. So. It wasn't a particularly good story. Either. Survival, yeah. So directed by Annette Laufer. Um, I mean, am I getting a sense? Oh, Laufer. Lo- lo- I thought it was Annette Laufer. Sorry, thank you. Thank you correction. Am I getting a sense here that uh, you're going to be looking back fondly as uh, Chris Chibnall's era being a golden one for the Doctor? No, I'm going to. I'm going to reserve all. Well, I'm not going to reserve judgment on this story. I enjoyed it extremely, much, very much. I mean, I love the dialogues anyway. I, I, I think they're fantastic. Um, so I'd give this story. Yeah, the only the only weak part really kind of was Whitaker again. There was a few lines she said which I thought she didn't. She does like to wave her sonic screwdriver around quite. Uh, yeah, a, she does a lot of that, but they all did that, don't they? And it's, it's, it's kind of irritating. It's like the entire idea of the way the sonic screwdriver was used in the new series, you know, to fix barbed wire or you know make make the tea or whatever it was, or a gun during the Moffat era. He was sort of using Matt Smith as much as I like Matt Smith. Very good actor, very good doctor. He was using it as a kind of gun, wasn't he, in some stories? So, um, yeah, I, 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 one of the things Jim, Jonathan Turner, I think, did do correct, did do right, was to blow up the Sonic Screwdriver as he thought it was a get out of jail free card. And one of the worst things that Rusty Davis ever did was bring it back and actually make it, you know, a hundred times worse. I think mean, the only setting, only, only, uh, only setting it doesn't have is, is wood. Apparently, it doesn't do wood. It says. But um, yeah, much abuse on it, screwdriver. Yeah, she just wavered alone a lot, and I, I, I still am not entirely convinced by her performance. 
but um, aside from, and she was, but she was all right, you know. I mean, a friend of mine called Chrissy. Oh Christ! What's her name? Pronounce her name. Pashley from Australia. Uh, I she hadn't watched Story series for a while, and I said, said, "Oh, watch this Christmas one," and she she watched it, and she really liked it, and 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 said Judy Whittaker was very good in it, but she was always a bit dodgy about Judy Whittaker, so I hadn't bothered watching her stories. So I think she probably watched about one Judy Whittaker story before that, but she said, "Oh no, I really like that story," and she kept she sort of as she was um, watching it, she started sending me lines of text saying, "Oh, what's going to happen next?" And, Oh, the Daleks done this, and you know, all that, you know. So it seems to have gone down, you know, we sort of, I'm not saying that, well, yeah, Chris is more of a non Doctor Who, but more of a big seven pound really than a Doctor Who fan. So it, I don't know where that counts, but it seems to have gone down well with, you know, non hardcore Doctor Who fans. And it was back on a Saturday night again, so there we are. Yes, it was back on a Saturday night, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, I think, our first. First and only Judy Whittaker episode shown on Saturdays, isn't it? Mm. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, Nick and Mary, portrayed by Ajani Salmon and uh, Pauline McLynn. Um, would you like to see more of them, or uh, or indeed Sarah with a- Aisling uh, Beer? Who was that? Aisling B, I think it was Sarah. And then there's Nick and Mary, somebody completely different. I'm, I don't know. You know, I, I wouldn't mind I'd seeing them with something else. But they were they were they were very they were very good. They 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 played it. Um, Ah, they were convincing, and I liked. But the dialogue was good. They said the dialogue well. Yeah, I, I think. Um, I, I just thought they were very. They were just made me laugh. It really, you know. I, I watched, sat down and watched it. There was a few surprises this Christmas. I, I'm not a massive fan of Mark Gatiss. So last year he did this ghost story, and it was quite good. And so I watched it, uh, the Christmas one this year, the Mezzotint. Uh, ah, it was really excellent. It was uh, actually improved on the M.R. James original. The M.R. James original has a kind of pete. It's kind of peters out and doesn't entirely have a satisfactory ending, although it's an extremely interesting story. Um, but Gages had improved. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Gages had improved on it, and um, so I thought, wow, that was uh, that was excellent. So that was very good. And the Dot Who thing, I kind of oh, absolutely like, but it made me laugh, and I thought it was uh, um, good and. So that was good as well. So yeah, ten out of ten, I'd say for Daleks. Uh, but I think that was all I saw over Christmas. I did catch up with some stuff I had been putting off for what, uh, like the animated years. Galaxy Four. Well, that was a bit of a gruel watch, wasn't it? <laughs> that was a bit of a bit of a um, yeah. That was a very weak story, and the animation was a kind of uh, crudish, wasn't it? Um, mm. No, but I, I watched. Um, it's a Sin by Rossity Davis. Uh, Rossity Davis, a few years ago, did a, a production called Banana, which I thought was dreadful. Um, so I wasn't really looking forward to it. I'm basically clearing my sky box, and I thought, oh, well, I better watch it. And uh, it was five parts long. Apparently, he'd tried to sell it to the BBC and do ITV, and they'd uh, r- ran away because they thought, an age, a, a, a drama about AIDS wasn't really going to go down very well with the audience. And it, but it was pushed forward by the controller of Channel 4, even though it was then still cut from eight episodes to five episodes. Uh, and I watched it, and uh, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was extremely, extremely clever, very perceptive, very well done, very, very well acted. So, you know, sorry, Russell, I got, I got it wrong on that point. Yeah, well, there we are, you see. Banana, I, banana was awful, but 
It's a sin was uh, mm. excellent, superb piece of work. So, I mean, we're already getting people who are sort of shock or in a state of shock. Did you actually say that you were going to actually give Eve of the Daleks 10 out of 10? Eve of the Daleks? Yes, I really enjoyed it. Good yeah, it grief. was great. Well, I think that's the first ever. Oh, one ten of the out first 10 out of 10s I've given. Ever? Me. Ever, is it? Exactly. I mean, well, I'd give Kay's on only 10 out of 10. Well, yes, but that's pretty. I think I would give Eve of the Daleks 10 out of 10. I think there's something very interesting going on in Eve of the Daleks. I think. The Daleks have, um, that the, I think they, that they're, they're rerunning time. I think they, that they've, I mean, the entire story is kind of set in the past anyway, because the story was broadcast in 1967, and yet it's set in 1966, because they go back, don't they, and uh, let Polly and Ben off at Gatwick Airport. But I think the Daleks of, of and the Daleks, of seeing where the Doctor and Jamie are, and then they arrive before the Doctor and Jamie arrived, and set at this antique shop, don't they, with Victoria, Victor, Victor, Edward Waterfield, to capture them. And I think right up to the point of where, before they go to Scarrow, the Daleks have, have, you know, the events have taken place. They've not entirely fitted with what the Daleks wanted to do, and they've gone back and rerun it again. So the version of time we're seeing is, um, you know, several versions down where it hit, where the doc, you know, where they wanted him to go. And I think this, uh, I hadn't noticed this before, ever, but I think um, Ben Aronovich had, because when he does Remembrance of the Daleks, he again has a situation where the doctor turns up and the Daleks who are following him are already there because they've seen where he's landed and then landed in the past, because, of course, the Daleks themselves have time to travel. And and I think it might also have been the inspiration for the sort of dark Dr. McCoy era, but with, with, with not the Daleks uh, rerunning time or looking forward to seeing what happened in changing events, you know, like a video like a video game. You'll be saying for, next that Doc Brown is indeed the Doctor and Marty McFly is indeed just a companion, but never mind. Well, that might be in it as well, but I haven't seen that film for years. But the idea that the Doctor was ahead of the game because he'd effectively surveyed the timeline or was changing as he was going along. He knew what was going to happen. How come you always know what's happening? But he'd sort of gone ahead. But this time, you know, the Doctor doing it as opposed to the Daleks. I think the problem with the Dark Doctor McCoy idea was that effectively if the Doctor is doing that, then he is tacitly <laughs> responsible for every death because he has said, okay, I want to defeat blah, blah, blah. Um, and... and but this person's going to get killed, and that person's going to get killed, and this is going to happen. So effectively, he's saying, oh, I'll like that. Yeah, that's okay. Then just to clarify, Alan, it's 10 out of 10 for Evil of the Daleks and 10 out of 10 for Eve of the Daleks? Oh, yeah, I'd say both. Yeah, I'd say both of them were extremely good, yeah. I think the Daleks are also very well um, characterised in, in both stories and have very interesting takes on them, very well, there, there interesting you go. dialogue. I mean, yeah, yeah it's very uh, uh, I think Patrick Trayton was... Um, uh, you know, a better doctor than Judy Whitaker, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe she just needs to have a stovepipe hat and actually play a play a recorder as opposed to wave a uh, sonic screwdriver. Neither which she does in Evil Daleks. But, no, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's move on then. Uh, before Christmas, you actually scored a creditable bronze for the uh, TV theme tune scenario. Uh, this time around, we could actually offer you uh, A for Alan or indeed S for Stevens. What are you going to go for? 
S for Stevens. S for Stevens. So you've dropped the A for Alan uh, scenario. Uh, you're going. You're sticky with S. Of course, S served you very well beforehand. You uh, uh, didn't manage to identify Sexton Blake, uh, and indeed, you confused no, ski. Was, you can well, you confused ski, show with yeah with Ski, ski Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, but, I'll never, yeah. never, never live that day. Well, it's, it's you know it's guard on my soul. That is put put those horses on skis. You could have carnage. Is all I can say. <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's go with uh, uh, S for Stevens again. Are you set and ready? You now know how the whole thing is going to move fairly rapidly as we move through. Yeah, oh, oh, actually, yeah. the next thing. Do you want bronze, silver, or gold? Do you want three, four, or five? What did I go for last time? Gold, wasn't it? You did. Wow. Yeah, go on, then. Gold again. You're going to go for gold again? Okay, well, there we are. Here, it, here they come. And there they go. Uh, so, uh, five all in a row there. How do you feel you did? Not great. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, interesting. Okay, well, let's start off with number one. Any thoughts on this one? As for Stevens, there is a Doctor Who connection. From Norwich, it's the quiz of the week. Ah, uh, yes, I know what this one is. It is uh, Sale of the Century. All the way from Norwich with... Uh, Chris Fenwick Vicar, played by... Nicholas Parsons. Nicholas Parsons, yeah. He's died there, isn't he? Yes, sadly, indeed so. Another midweek drivette is working for Heaven FM. A lot of them have had it off that way. Never mind. Everyone, he was a very nice guy, wasn't he? Everyone liked Nicholas Parsons. Yeah. Remember he appeared in a, uh, a Comic Strip Presents uh, film uh, with um, Rip Mail and Aid Edmondson called Mr. Jolly Lives Next Door. Mm. And uh, two people were contracted to take out Nicholas Parsons and they thought take him out you know uh, as in for a meal where in fact it was him and take him out kill him exactly exactly I remember Ray Edmondson having in in the story the character he played having his precisely so how about number two having having I've met Nicholas Parsons tattooed on his forehead yeah yeah I know astounding how about number two with that reputation, deviation. The same, yeah, the same. There you go, exactly. John Moore. Well, indeed, who never took part in Doctor Who, and his career didn't suffer as a result. But he no, was he James Bond. James Bond, though, wasn't he? He was a major James Bond exactly. thing. So he was a kind of time lord. He, kept, he keeps changing as well, doesn't he, James Bond? Two for two is uh, the score at present, just with a little help from the Spectre Sale of the Century. How about this one? <laughs> Surely. There you are. Scooby-Doo, yeah. There, yeah, yeah, but you, you, you didn't identify it initially, Alan, I'm not sure. Right. No, you know, it was a very difficult one, wasn't it? Uh, well, if you... Also, did... Scooby-Doo had a number of, uh, a number of uh, 
theme tunes. Oh yeah, bit that now. Yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And number four. Surely you must have yeah, this. Yeah, but Riverbank. Yeah. No, absolutely no? not. No. No. I thought it'd be the kangaroo. Exactly. Oh, well, I, I you could have. You could have heard him. You could have. Uh, what was he trying to tell you? Well, Jimmy's fallen in the well. Exactly. What was that, Skibby? Put in specially for your Australian colleague, though. Never yeah. mind. Uh, I never saw that show, actually. Well, never seen it ever. I that's what YouTube is for. Before me. Uh, as I said before, that's what YouTube is for. And finally... Uh, yeah, uh, some mothers do have them. I think I'll give you four and a half out of ten, then. Or four and a half out of five, really. Or eight or oh, nine out of ten, which is not quite a ten out of ten. But yeah, What well, one didn't I get? I don't think you got Scooby-Doo. Or Sale of the Century, to be honest, but never mind. Oh, did, oh I did get Sale of the Century. Yeah, well, uh, with a little bit of help, shall we say. No, 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 I got Sale of the Century. The two I didn't get was um, Scooby-Doo and um, uh, Skippy the Kangaroo, wasn't it? Ah, uh, oh, there you are. So, three out of five. So, there we are. It'll, that's that's where we will sit at present. So, so oh, another series I'm catching it with, which, again, I, I kind of put off because Jane Trander was involved in it, uh, was... Um, is is Dark Materials. Um, I recorded both series of that. It's been on my box since... Well, the first series has been on there since, since 2019. But I've, I've started watching that now, and I have to say, that is extremely good as well. I love the animals. You know, the spirit animals, the demons, or that. D-A-M-O-N-S. Oh, did you hear about that? A friend of mine called um, Andy Lambert, who's a very, very talented artist, he uh, does various pieces of artwork, and he did this uh, piece where... Uh, he had the characters from Buffy Vampire Slayer, and in the background was the image of the demon from the Doctor Who story of the demons, and in the procession of characters, there's Buffy and Willow and uh, Xander, and he also put in Matt Smith's Doctor. Anyway, uh, a calendar came out this year, Buffy Vampire Slayer calendar, and uh, on, on January, was his artwork had been reproduced. These people obviously were making money off poor old Andy without paying him any money and uh, but people had noticed this that suddenly the <laughs> you know the beautiful piece of artwork which featured Matt Smith and suddenly it went viral and it was all over the place so mm. it appeared in the independent and various other newspapers online so um, at least he got some publicity out of it eh? exactly and what about uh, Celestial Toy Room how can people actually access the latest edition and indeed find out the special downloads that you're offering as well yes yeah, so I put up a special download of, of in November of uh, Celestial Toy Room I did last year, the, the, they've gone to colour now. So, you know, that's quite good. So basically just go to the Calder City uh, website, um, strike Calder City, and um, you'll see a sign called Magic Bullet, confusingly appear, but never mind. Click on the logo and it'll take you to the news page. And um, there's, I think there's three full issues of Celestial Toy Room, which you can download. And also... The Doas have released uh, a uh, 2022 Celestial Toy Room Annual, uh, which this year reviews all the Matt Smith stories. And uh, will also be avail- and available for free download, again, in full colour. And it will also be available as a hardback limited edition later in January. But I've written the review for The Time of the Doctor. And it features a lovely photograph of uh, my cat, Tasha Lennon. Well, there we are. 
Fantastic stuff. Alan, it has been a delight as ever. Good to connect with a good self in 2022. Have you had a reasonably interesting phoner? I know, it's, I'm so used to saying Zoomers. I mean, it's, uh, it's ancient technology. <laughs> uh, but uh, Have you had an interesting photo with us today? Yes, very interesting indeed. Then in which case, assuming we are spared, will you be back with us in the not-too-distant future? Yes, when's the next Doctor Who due up? That would be Easter, but I think we'll get you back before then, I would have thought, really. Uh, so it goes. Onwards, ever onwards... <laughs> Right.
So decreased risk of uh, getting one of the major 12 cancers seems to be a good thing. Lowered risk of increased blood pressure, definitely a good thing. Reduced risk of heart disease, yes. Less risk of developing diabetes, yes. And less strain from chronic back and joint pain, all very positive and all very sort of good ways of actually ensuring that our health is maintained. But how do we do this? Well, it may be as simple as losing weight. And I know you might be saying, oh, losing weight. Well, let's talk about that with our ACE correspondent extraordinaire from the world of medicine, of course. It's Dr. Hilary Jones. How are you, Hilary? I'm very well, Alex. How are you? Very good indeed. And a happy 2022 to you, good self, of course. And to you. Healthy and a happy one. Well, this is true because obviously we're still in the midst of the pandemic and we won't go there because we've spoken at length about that. And we know that that's sort of going. But actually allowing for that, actually staying healthy and actually being mindful of prevention being better than cure losing some pounds could be the best way forward really it's really important 63 percent of the british population are overweight um and uh, i think a lot of people feel that okay um that's not the the end of the world and of course it isn't um but there's 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 no question that if you're overweight there is a bit of inflammation going on in the organs of your body and that predisposes to a number of significant diseases in the future if you stay overweight um, and these include the 12, 12 common cancers that you've alluded to already, particularly colon, breast, um, kidney and pancreas cancers. Um, you've mentioned blood pressure, which predisposes to heart disease and strokes. Um, you've talked about type 2 diabetes, but there's also people with a lot of chronic back and joint pain as a result of being overweight. And we, we know we're not going to mention the P word, the pandemic word, uh, except to say that, of course, obesity is, a, is another risk factor for serious illness with COVID-19. Um, so apart from, you know, feeling better when you look down at the numbers on the scales when you lose weight, there are some real benefits to be had by thinking about the nutrition uh, that you feed your body with and how much exercise you take. Um, and there are some great tools to be had if you go to the Better Health webpage, which is nhs.uk forward slash better health. I mean, allowing for that, people listening to this say, yes, I know we've tried. We've heard all this before. It's January. It's time to actually renew that to membership to the gym club and then actually sort of give it up again in February or, or various other bits and pieces. How do we stick at it? How do we get into that good habit of, of actually ensuring this year is the year that we do actually maintain our fitness and improve our fitness? Yeah, it's a, re it's a really good question because so many people make those resolutions and, and then they fail because I think a lot of people are a little impatient with the targets that they set themselves. They want to do something uh, today that sees results in two or three weeks. And that's just, it can't happen. The body is too efficient to allow that to happen. It's probably taken many months for people to put on the weight they've put on. And it's not going to take that long to lose it, but it, it certainly is going to take a while so I think setting yourself a realistic target is, is really important. So think about where you want to be this time next year, not next month. Uh, you're much more likely to achieve what you want to do in 12 months than you can in one month or even two months. And I think if you set yourself those realistic targets, you will be motivated. You will see a gradual uh, drop in your weight if you stick to the right um, advice. And that will continue as you go through the year. And as you do that, you'll feel better. You'll have more energy. Um, you'll you'll be more alert you'll sleep better and of course you'll have freedom from these diseases uh, hopefully that we've talked about already 
Now, you mentioned, obviously, there's a partnership, which is always good because partnerships are very positive. Uh, Better Health is working in partnership with 15 weight management and physical activity partners. Uh, presumably, that means it's a lot simpler to actually sign up and, and actually sort of say, OK, we've heard Dr. Hillary talk about this. This is the year we're going to get this sorted. Yeah, to name but a few, we've got physical activity partners such as Our Parks, Sport England, Better Leisure Centres, uh, Anytime Fitness, Pure Gym. Uh, and in terms of weight management, Slimming World, Get Slim. Uh, we've got Weight Watchers, Second Nature um, and, and lots of others besides. So by teaming up with them, people can get either free guidance or special discounts uh, at many of these um, uh, uh, organisations which, again, helps to motivate people to, to get to where they want to be. Well, people who are saying, oh, if only we could actually have the svelte form of Dr. Hillary. What's your own sort of uh, uh, secret scenario? Is it just a case of where you're working too hard and that's the reason, basically, you, you can never put on a pound? Well, I think keeping busy is, is important because a lot of people eat because they're bored um, or, or because, um, you know, they've got emotional issues. And we all do. Um, it's about finding other ways of dealing with those things. Um, keeping busy is one way, but also I think uh, 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 making sure that you put time in your diary for some physical activity as regularly as you, you can possibly do. Um, eating it more healthy, maybe changing what you eat and how much you eat. So look at the portion sizes. And again, those realistic targets. So uh, everyone can achieve what they want to achieve. Of course, it takes a little bit of self-discipline. And if we get the help we need, if we get the, um, um, the reminders of what we need to do, uh, don't beat ourselves up if we fall off the wagon uh, once in a while and give ourselves one treat too many. Get back on the straight and narrow and you'll get to where you want to be uh, this year. This could be the year that you achieve what you want to achieve. Why not? And uh, you just reminded me of the acronym that we've tended to use quite frequently, uh, that treats can stand for terrible results eating all that sugar. So just bear that in mind in terms of when That's you're That's a very good one. Today. I'll remember that one. <laughs> Dr. Hillary, it's been awesome connecting with you. Good stuff as ever. NHS.uk forward slash better health. Presumably is the best place to go to to find out further details. Absolutely. In which case, we look forward to hopefully connecting with you again in the not too distant future. Dr. Hillary Jones, huge thanks. And Me keep too. on keeping My on. Pleasure. Thanks, Alex. Take care. The environment, animal welfare, energy consumption, the ethics of food production, all critical thoughts and concepts as we head into the third decade of the 21st century and all to do with the environment and indeed the green pound. Uh, so to talk us through some of the ways in which ethical consumer spending and finance uh, is indeed changing the environment. In fact, it's uh, amounting to something along the lines of 116 billion pounds. We're delighted to welcome a sustainability climate change manager from the co-op. Uh, that's the wonderful Barry Clavin. How are you, Barry? Um, great. Thanks very much, Alex. Good to join you. Good. Well, I mean, clearly you'd have to have been very um, immune to news stories across the uh, the globe, not to appreciate what's uh, happening with respect to Glasgow and COP26 and so on. And a lot of platitudes being made out there, a lot of good statements being uh, signed, a lot of promises and so on. Uh, a lot of obviously cynicism from the, the likes of our Swedish correspondents, young Greta, of course. Uh, and I won't go into her latest sort of uh, attempt at musical humour, but there we are. So leave it to other Swedish singers. Um, but Barry, talk us through some of the ways in which the co-op are kind of really keen to be very proactive in, in terms of developing a, uh, a sustainability agenda. Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks very much, Alex. Um, well, I think just as a backdrop uh, to that, um, we've obviously put out this report, which um, has been tracking uh, how 
ethical consumerism has grown in the UK. And I think it's one of those things that we can be um, take a little bit of pride off it in the UK is that we, we, we have led a lot of this stuff globally. If you think of things like fair trade, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago when, you know, the, the total fair trade market in the UK was worth just something like 20 million pounds, everything. If you added everything up, 20 million pounds. Today, we're talking about a 2 billion pound um, sector in the UK. Mm. And that's one of the things that the, the, the co-op has worked incredibly hard on with, with uh, the Fair Trade Foundation to make fair trade products better quality, more uh, readily available to people because these are some of the some of the things that stop us being shopping more ethically are just some of the fundamentals that sh stop us shopping in different ways not just about ethics but it is about availability and convenience and so the more available we can make these things at the co-op the more convenient we can make it the more that these markets will grow and the more these markets grow the more good we're actually doing as a consequence generally so you certainly raised the availability aspect there. I mean, for uh, a number of years, certainly the, the end of the 20th century and so on, uh, if you were somebody who wished to actually uh, pursue uh, green issues and topics within that, it was often a case of you would be classified as probably being upper middle class or at least middle class and probably maybe a bit too much time on your hands and so on. A lot of people would, on the other hand, say they would want to be more involved with uh, saving the environment, but literally it was either priced out of their range or indeed there were problems with that. So it's good that the co-ops managed to address that. You do, of course, have a 10-point climate change action plan, which I'm particularly fascinated in, Barry. Would you like to talk us through that? Yeah, of course, uh, Alex. So, you know, we've been we've been looking at our climate impacts for almost two decades at the co-op. So it's not new. Um, but what we've recognised this year is the opportunity to actually address climate change impacts in everything we do and we think that's just really important for all businesses now which is a lot of businesses if, if you listen to them and they say that they're reducing their carbon they're just really talking about the electricity in their building energy efficiency and maybe some of their trucks which is great really good thing to do what we're doing at the co-op is looking at reducing carbon impacts of everything we do so yes we've reduced the carbon impacts of our stores at the co-op by 70 percent over the last 15 years which is a huge drop and that means that we can legitimately then um, offset that little bit that's remaining and, and have carbon neutral stores for our customers and members and when we say offset it what we mean is that as we continue to reduce our climate impacts um, we can take responsibility for the small remaining bits as we continue to reduce if that makes sense so that we're not adding to the problem as we go forward so as we say, you've got to reduce your carbon impacts across everything. So the big thing for us now is reducing the carbon impact of those products that we put on our shelves for our customers and members. And that's what we're on that journey now. And, um, you know, we need to get as a business to what's called net zero by 2040 at the latest, which means that by 2040, we've taken all the carbon impacts that we can out of our products. And there's only a tiny rump left on that journey. Sorry, go on, Alex. No, I was just going to say, uh, obviously, I was looking to move away from that ambitious target, which, again, should be achievable, to the uh, Count Us In uh, campaign to uh, to effectively mobilise a billion citizens to commit to reducing our own carbon impact, which, again, is is, is a very much a case of perhaps the uh, history of the co-op in terms of being a socially responsible business. Exactly. Um, you know, it's the power of the collective. It's power of cooperation. It's about, it's about bringing people together and recognize that if you get a billion people to make a lot of small actions, it adds up to something absolutely huge. You know, I'm an advocate for that, a huge advocate for that, which is that, you know, 
most of us can't make big, big, big changes in the short term to, to our lives and how we do things. We can all do a lot of small things. And the partnership which counters in is, is so helpful because if you do have a look at that and if you go via our website at co-op.co.uk and have a look at that, what you'll find is a whole range of options for you to do because choice is really important. You know, we're not about, and counters in, it's not about telling people what they need to do, but saying, look, we all live our lives differently. We all have different impacts. We all need choices that are convenient for us, helpful to us and appeal to us. So that's really, really helpful in the first instance. Secondly, if you go there, it will also keep track of the uh, the difference you're making. So if you make a pledge with this, with counters in, they'll then send you a regular updates, say, look, you've done X. That means that your carbon footprint has changed by Y over that time. So it gives you that little bit of feedback, that reward that's really helpful to keep us all encouraged in terms of making the right decisions. I've been saying for years, Barry, that uh, it's such a shame that uh, there seems to be the kind of built-in obsolescence with so much of our society, etc. which is why I was particularly uh, pleased to actually see the uh, two words repair and reuse yeah. uh, appearing in the sustainability campaign, as well as cutting down on food waste, eating more plants, talking to friends and speaking up at work. But that repair and reuse thing, again, shouldn't be underestimated. I mean, it's not for nothing that uh, the, 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 there is a, a real opportunity here to uh, to ensure that we don't simply throw things away or put as new one wants, uh, uh, I don't know, a particular item has stopped functioning. I think we're going to see a huge um, resurgence in repair and use. It's already increasing. And the, the really interesting um, organisations, these repair cafes that you can go to now, which um, at the moment they're run by charities. But if you've got, you know, uh, something that you, you can't repair at home, you can take it in there. They'll try and help fix it for you free of charge. Um because, as you've just said, there is too much, you know, if, we're, if we can't repair ourselves, we can't afford to get it repaired, what do you do? So as a starting point, if, you have, if people have a look at these repair cafes, because they're, they're appearing all over the country, um, and see if there's, there's one near them, and if they've got, um, you know, whatever it may be, an old radio or just a piece of kit in the house that they can't fix, then if you take it to these guys, then they will help fix it. But also there's a resurgence and things like, you know, it sounds like a really old word, which might come back, but cobblers, you know, shoe repair and all those sorts of things. Because if we buy a little bit better and a little bit more, you know, consciously about what we're buying, because sustainable fashion is a real challenge, but then we want some things to last longer and we want to repair them. So, you know, if, you know, um, clothing repair shops as well, um, really taking off as well. Co-op.co.uk, the best place to go, Barry, to find out further details about the innovative strategies that you're adopting to actually uh, push this sustainability and climate change uh, manifesto. Absolutely. Have a look there and then you can get a link into counters in as well, if that's helpful. Barry Clavin uh, from, of course, uh, the Co-op, where you're head of sustainability and climate change. Uh, some interesting food for thought there. Uh, keep up the excellent work. And uh, let's hope that when we speak in 2040, oh, probably long before then as well, I'm sure, uh, you'll be well on, uh, on road to, uh, to, to net zero. Look forward to catching up then. And I 
real chainly a quill out on the patio disposal in the sea a washer and a dryer in an ironing machine the tractors that we share somewhere that's To mow and weave, I cook like Betty Crocker, and I look like Donna Reed. There's plastic on our furniture to keep it neat and clean in the pine saw-scented air somewhere that.
You're good to me, I ain't good to girls Me, I'm a bad boy, something every good girl needs hey, Honestly, could've read all your tantrums But I'm a naughty boy and I always have been And that ain't changing anytime soon I can't have you with me whenever I move Whatever I do, I come back to you See, the good attracts me and the good attracts you COP26, and that will obviously resonate, presumably, for the next few years. But uh, for those folk who are thinking of pensions and so on and pension investments, uh, critical times are indeed to the fore. Uh, Could your pension help to reduce emissions? Could it promote diversity? Could it actually uh, deal with uh, affordable homes? Well, probably the best person to actually go to to discuss the ways in which their investments or our investments could help fight climate change uh, is, of course, consumer finance specialist. That's a wonderful Sarah Pennells. How are you, Sarah? I'm very well, Alex. I hope you're well, too. Excellent. Well, I mean, not surprisingly, over three quarters of us consider ourselves to be climate conscious. Um, But surprisingly, 64 percent, so nearly two thirds of pension holders are unaware that their pension could be invested to help fight climate change. Sarah, this sounds as though there's an opportunity here to help the planet. Yeah, you're right. And it is interesting that, as you say, lots of people do think of themselves as being climate conscious. But haven't made that connection between the kind of everyday habits that they may be doing and what's happening to pension money. But in a way, I guess that isn't surprising because most of us, you know, have a pension pay into every month. And the focus is on thinking about making sure that we have a a decent income in retirement so that we're not just having to rely on the state pension. But actually, I think to have a a decent um, retirement, to have a good standard of living, it's about more than just the money that you get in your pension. It's also about the kind of world that we retire into. So, so to bring that to life, if climate change is, uh, you know, the effects of climate change mean that your home's at risk of flooding every couple of years or, you know, or the summers are so hot that it's really hard for you to keep your home cool, then it doesn't matter how much money you've got in your pension because you won't have a good standard of living because of climate change. But I think the focus of you know governments of you know pension providers like Royal London you know that carried out the research of of the media we've already been talking I think understandably for the last however many years about having a good income in retirement but it is actually about more than that. 
the whole uh, message, of course, is responsible investment. I think most uh, people would actually feel that uh, their investments were uh, handled responsibility, well, responsibly. Although I see that um, nearly a quarter of us, over a quarter, don't actually know what uh, responsible investment actually means. Yeah, and I think, again, there's a lot of jargon and terminology around this whole area, which I think can be a bit of barrier to some people to kind of getting started. So responsible investing means that a pension provider will take into account how a company is run. So its effect on the environment might be looking at things like it's sort of how well governed it is and how it treats its own customers, its employees and suppliers. But there are also terms like ethical and it can be quite confusing. So I understand that, you know, for some people, this can be a barrier to, to thinking about their pension. But I, but I do think, as I said, that it is really important to kind of make that connection that the money you're paying into your pension every month from your pay packet or, you know, you're self-employed or so on, it's not just sitting in a bank account somewhere. It's actually working for you. That money is being invested on your behalf. And some of that money will be going into shares in companies and how those companies behave and the kind of areas that they're involved in can help not just shape your own retirement and the kind of world that you retire into, but because, you know, you'll be part of a scheme that many other people are part of. It's actually a collective thing as well. It will, it will ultimately impact the kind of world that we all retire in because, you know, these days through um, something called automatic enrolment, the vast majority of us, when we join a new employer, we're automatically put into that pension scheme without us having to do anything. That's great. On the other hand, there is that question about how do we actually monitor where our monies are actually going to, how they're being used, etc. So how easy is it for is it necessary for people to actually check on their pension or on our pension investments? It's a really good question. And it is easy to find out where your pension money is invested. And I'm certainly not saying that everybody should be sort of night and day checking where each individual investment is and how it's doing because you know we've got lives to live but as a good starting point if you're in a workplace pension um, there will be a, a pension scheme website or there'll normally be an app as well so have a check of those and see whether your individual pension is invested um, if you took out your pension through a financial advisor then ping him or her an email you know give them a call they'll definitely um, talk to you about it and, and help you understand the other thing is those annual statements that you know some people might just give a cursory glance to and look at how much money they've got in their pension pot well they also have information about where your money's invested and again in terms of the different pension providers well they may take a slightly different approach um, so some may do what's called engaging and that means that it's not just about where your money is invested in the first place. They will also talk to the management of the company. They'll meet them regularly. They will at annual general meetings either vote in favour of what the company says it wants to do or sometimes vote against it if they don't think it's right for the environment, don't think it's right for society. Um, and so they will take a more proactive role, I guess, in, in their investments. So it's not necessarily something that we as individuals have to think, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I need to spend all my time checking my investments because you're part of this fund and it's something that your pension provider will be doing for you. That's a food for thought. Uh, would RoyalLondon.com be a useful starting off point to at least find something out about the survey that was actually commissioned? 
Yeah, so there's information both on how you can invest um, responsibly and some examples of, of actually what Royal London's been doing in ter terms of its responsible investment uh, portfolios and pension plans. There's also a Facebook community if you're into Facebook for, uh, we call it the invested generation. But I have to say, I mean, obviously we're in the second week of COP26. There's a whole conversation going on that's much wider than pensions around the decisions that we can take. So there's information also on other websites as well. It's something the government's talking about. It's something that other organisations are talking about. But I think a really good starting point, either go onto the Royal London website or start with your own pension provider, see where your money's invested and see how you feel about it and what you think about the impact that might have on both your retirement and the retirement of those people that you know and love. Indeed, I'm not sure. So uh, at uh, present times, uh, whether Mark Zuckerberg's company with Facebook is necessarily uh, one that many people will actually say, oh, I want to invest in that. But anyway, that's a different line entirely. Uh, for another Probably another conversation. <laughs> uh, very much so. Uh, Sarah Pennell's uh, Consumer Finance Specialist, of course, for the moment. Many thanks indeed. Take care now. Thanks, Alex.